Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. We talk about OCR. We talk about running. We talk about training. Today, we are talking about CrossFit with CrossFit expert Armin Hammer. Armin has a depth of knowledge in this space as a content creator and as a coach and a program developer. So in the episode, we talk about how to use CrossFit to help your running and your OCR results, things you should do, things you should not do. We talk about the evolution of CrossFit and really how it parallels OCR. And it's really interesting. So stick around to hear all of that cool insight from Armin and also listen until the end to learn how to get a bunch of free, awesome workouts that Armin has created. The link's right in the show notes, so you can get that right now if you want to get those workouts. Uh, they're sandbag workouts and CrossFit workouts. Going to be super helpful, but you should listen to the end anyway. Also, races are back. Amazing. Lots of events happening this past weekend. So quick shout out to some reinforced running athletes. Shout to Cunningham, who won the Waru Warrior down in New Zealand, won it outright, took home the gold. Jeannie Orend won the Elite Tier 1 Wave at Battle Frog in DC. And huge shout out to Willie Wright, who won his age group at 30 to 34 age group at Spartan Race Vegas during the sprint. Races are bad. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Armin Hammer. All right, I'm joined by Armin Hammer. Armin, what's going on, man? Not much, Rich. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm real excited to have you on. I want to touch on a bunch of different topics, like really how to use CrossFit to train for OCR and get your experience as uh, a CrossFit yourself and seeing what has developed over time in the CrossFit space. And I feel like these two sports, OCR and CrossFit are pretty similar, right? Like CrossFit is very much like the foundation needs to be strength. Like if you don't have that base level of strength, like you're probably not going to be able to compete very well. Or in OCR, it seems like it needs to be endurance, specifically running, but like it kind of mixes in and out where it's some unknowable stuff. Like you have to juggle a lot of training stimulus and make sure there's no like big glaring holes. And for for me, when I look at you, you kind of are jack of all trades when it comes to CrossFit uh, in, in your knowledge base. Like in the OC, in OCR, we have someone who like we have media who kind of stitches together the, the narratives. We have some people who are more on the athlete side and like projections of performance and like giving recaps. And then there's people more like myself or like the running public who are talking more about like the training part, but like you kind of do all of that all within yeah. CrossFit, which is pretty cool, man. So what, how do you, would you describe to people like what exactly you do? Uh, yeah, that's a, I think those are all really good descriptions, by the way, you know, the, the sort of breakdown you gave of how similar and different, um, CrossFit is with OCR. That that makes sense to me. I think that's intuitively an accurate way of describing what their sort of like cousin-ish relationship is. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I would say, you know, I, I tell people I'm a content creator because that's like the easiest way to describe what I do. And then and then if someone's curious, they're like, oh, what does that mean? Like I make videos on YouTube. And if they <laughs> if they still want more, uh, what I basically tell them is, is I'm like a commentator and analyst inside of the CrossFit space. And generally that's enough for people to be like, yeah, I don't know what any of that means. So <laughs> you work on like, you make videos on YouTube. That's good enough for me. And, uh, so you're a YouTuber. Oh, so you're a YouTuber. It. And, yeah. and, you know, I guess like, I don't, I don't want it to be a pejorative. Like I don't want to take that as like a negative thing to say, oh yeah, I'm a YouTuber, but like, I'm about as far from a youtuber as could possibly exist in terms of what types of content that i make but yeah i think i think a commentator analyst uh i i wouldn't consider myself a vlogger but some people like to use that as a as a way of describing what i do um what what 
my function in the community is, is I think a, a better way of looking at what I actually focus on doing. And, and I think that function is to make the conversation move forward. So there's things that just like in OCR and CrossFit, people are talking about the thing all the time. I mean, they mm-hmm. just love experiencing it, talking about it, debating it, talking about performances or their own you know, training for it or their own experience with it. And they also, in the CrossFit space, I think this is shared in OCR, they also love to talk about the organizers. They love to talk about you know, CrossFit and the events involved. We're in OCR, they love talking about Spartan and they love talking about you know, Hunter versus, you know, uh, whatever, uh, Kempson or so. I don't know. I, I have like three names that, that I know about. That was, those were two of them. Those I love it. So yeah. like, uh, you know, they, they love talking about these things. And my role, my job is to essentially provide as much context and information into anything that they'll be talking about so that the next time they have a conversation about it, even if they don't reference like, oh, I saw this on Armin's channel, they know something that they can add to the conversation. And if I can do that enough times, then the conversation is improved across the entire board. Like that's my entire function within the space. And I've been, I I feel like I've been pretty successful at being able to do that. And I, I craft all of my content around doing that very specific thing. And when looking at it that way, like, yes, you need to take all the pieces from all the different things. And it seems like you've just kind of rolled up a lot of this experience as things have kind of come along, like as a participant in CrossFit and then as you ran an affiliate and we're, we're coaching for a long time. So do, do you find yourself needing to kind of keep up with that end of things? Or since you're, you're steeped in the community so much and the conversation so much, are you, are you often picking up like what is happening on the training side of things pretty often? Or are you still like really kind of diving into that aspect? Yeah, that, I think that's a fair question. I did. Uh, I took my job as a coach and a gym owner very seriously. Like that mm-hmm. was what I was doing professionally, and I lived it the entire time I was in it. You know, I was constantly reading up on new ways of training, you know, new uh, methods or um, different sort of perspectives that we could add into and improve the product that we were giving our our members. Uh, after I left the gym and wasn't training people, a hundred percent of the time anymore as my full job, like that definitely wasn't the, um, that wasn't how I was spending my time. But that said, I live, I live this, you know what I mean? I, I walk the walk as much as I talk the talk. So I spend a lot of time in gyms. I spend a lot of time with coaches. I spend a lot of time with athletes and invariably, you know, the conversation of what are you doing? Is it different? How does it different? How is it working? Is it not working? All of that comes up. And so I think I've kept up very, very well with where the space is. And I think I've also been pretty good at being ahead of the curve in terms of telling people, Hey, you should be doing this and then seeing it kind of become the, you know, training mode of the day, uh, you know, a year down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just want to make it like crystal clear that you, where you're coming from is as an athlete and as a coach first. Yes. That's pretty much how everything kind of bubbled up was, was from that. And that it remains to be your foundation. So when we have these, when this conversation we have today, I want it to be a lot about the training and uh, like you are as knowledgeable as anyone in this space because you've been around it for so long. And plus you've been speaking to so many people for so many years now that you're, you're, there, there has to be just knowledge that's just been implanted in there. So, um, on, on along that end, so we're talking about training in particular. 
and as your background as a coach and like as a program developer, even still, you seem to have, you're going to have some good insight on how people from the obstacle course racing side of things who might want to work, like dip into CrossFit a little bit or use like these Metcon type trains or like, you know, hit or whatever you want to call it. So, um, so I think that you're going to be really helpful to help people understand like what they should be trying to accomplish in these and what might be more of a waste of time for like their specific goal. Um, Absolutely. And another thing about my background, by the way, that isn't necessarily like the most well-known thing, but before I did CrossFit, I really didn't do very much athletics, but what I did do was run. So my, my background is in, in endurance running. I ran, I ran a, four marathons uh, between junior high and high school. I, I ran uh, cross country and track all through high school uh, and, and marathons, obviously long distance stuff. So you know, I had that background coming into CrossFit, not that I was particularly good at sort of running, but at least that's where I had my you know, my comeuppance in, in training, I'd say. <laughs> and that's perfect then. So like, and I'm sure if you've seen athletes come into your facility as you're working there, who may have been like you as a younger athlete coming in with just as an endurance background, or if someone is coming in and they have maybe adjacent goals to CrossFit, maybe they're doing like a go ruck challenge, or they're like looking to climb a mountain or something that is going to be more endurance based. Like, how would you first try to, or how would you explain to someone that wants to use CrossFit, like how the CrossFit is going to help them with their endurance goals? Like when should they use it? Yeah, that, that I think that's a, that's probably the number one thing to wrap your brain around. If you're entering into any sort of training endeavor, you kind of want to know why you're doing the thing you're doing. And it would make sense when you look at something like endurance, like, oh, well, I have to just work. I have to work on my cardio. I have to work on my muscle endurance. I have to work on these things that are going to get me through a 10K race or even longer if I'm doing like a half marathon or I'm doing a 5K. Like, You just need to work on those time domains and those skills. The value that doing something like CrossFit brings to your training, even if you're specializing in something like that, is it gives you much greater general physical preparedness. So your body in general is going to be better off doing anything if you have just a base level of of just power and strength and conditioning. And so think of it in terms of not necessarily moving away from whatever it is you're specializing in, but rounding out the edges for the rest of the things that you do so that you can do more of what it is you specialize in. So a very extreme example of this would be like the the biggest power lifters in the world. They are doing nothing but just trying to squat the heaviest thing they can once, deadlift the heaviest thing they can once, and bench the heaviest thing they can once. And yet they spend a lot of time each week doing things like sled walks. They'll just like wrap a sled around their hips and they'll just walk for a long distance. They'll just drag it for a quarter mile, half a mile, a mile. And that is entirely based on increasing their general physical preparedness, just building a little bit more work capacity so they can lift a little bit more weights the next time they're lifting. And the same thing applies to really extreme endurance. You need to be able to stay durable. You need to be able to stay mobile. You need to be able to stay strong through various positions and be bringing in external weights, bringing in interval training, bringing in um, you know gymnastics training is going to be really, really beneficial to just rounding out any of your training programs. And then from from your experience when these athletes do come in, because I think that that is uh, something that runners are starting to kind of grasp, right? They want to be a little bit stronger. Running is really 
it's pretty damaging, right? Like runners get hurt a lot. So they come in, they hear they need to get stronger. Um, and CrossFit is, is so popular and he, they can, or they have a box that opened up in their neighborhood or something. And they see there's like weights and stuff. So they walk in, they want to see like if, how you could help them. Like, what do you think these endurance athletes should expect or, or what, what would you recommend for an endurance athlete once they, they kind of come in? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, the the big things that I would immediately focus on is if there are existing injuries or existing problem areas, like if you're a runner and your knees are constantly bothering you or your lower back is constantly bothering you or your posture is just not good enough over a long period of time, those are things that can be addressed really specifically and should be addressed really specifically by like the, the person who sees you and is able to, you know, apply, you know, various movements or various programs to fix those things for the general person the things that i would work work on right off the bat is like get good at doing strict pull-ups and learn how to lift some weights so like basically start squatting or deadlifting ideally both and get good at strict pull-ups because between those movements you essentially cover a global sort of stimulus onto your body that's going to make everything better and stronger every tendon in your body is going to get stronger and and uh, more durable every muscle in your body is going to get more efficient in processing any sort of energy source everything in your body is going to get better if you can get good at doing strict pull-ups and and start lifting a little bit of weight would you start because like runners and endurance athletes in general or just people who, who might not because a lot of times people who come into obstacle course racing maybe they were at the gym doing like you know body weight splits, not body weight splits. So, you know, uh, program splits or whatever. Um, and they don't, they might not have a ton of experience in like proper movement. Where does that kind of fall in? Are does it kind of take care of itself once you kind of load them up or, and after you watch them, or is it just kind of cueing or is there specific movement practices that you found need to kind of be the foundation? Yeah, it, it does depend on the person. I think one of the one of the things that CrossFit kind of brought into the training world um, that wasn't really there before is the idea of treating almost anything as a skill. So mm. if you're a novice at any skill, you're going to need a lot of coaching, a lot of description, a, a mental understanding, like a model understanding what it is you're supposed to be doing before you can actually execute it well. And Things like squats aren't the most complicated thing in the world, but there's a lot of moving parts and it's easy to mess it up. But it, if you get it right, it's like never going to do you wrong. So learning how to do a squat properly, you can do that with no weight. You can do that with very little weight. It depends on the person. Generally speaking, as like adults who enter the training world, they usually just have bad motor patterns to begin with hmm. um if they do understand where their body lies and how their body moves uh which is not uncommon i mean sometimes we'd run into people who really just didn't have an understanding of how to move their hips or how to hinge um, or how to bend over without low, rounding their lower back right all these things take a little bit of practice and once you learn it you learn it and there's a lot of different cues on how to fix those issues but generally speaking you just start people off with the simplest version of the movement. So like with, uh, with squats, we either would get them up against a wall, like facing a wall and trying to move with like that idea of that verticality that is involved in, in facing a wall and squatting, you know, trying to get them to push their knees out, trying to get them to sit back instead of down, 
Um, there, there's a lot of different ways of fixing someone's, you know, base level. Just here's an understanding of what your body should be doing here. And starting off with something like the squat is actually really good because it gives you an understanding of like, where do your, what is your weight line, your feet, where do your hips go when you're squatting down? What is your torso supposed to be doing when you're getting up and at the bottom? And all those things end up adding a lot of um, like body awareness and control down the line. And a lot of things that we're, we're talking about now, it is a lot about like the foundations, right? And if anybody would really need to to work on these things, to excel at any type of athletic endeavor. And this is something that CrossFit does really well. Once you're in it, you understand that that's going to be a huge piece of what you're going to be involved in. And there's, there's coaches who are really smart. There's a lot of good practitioners, there's trainers who've kind of moved into CrossFit. But when people think about CrossFit, we're thinking about like the Metcon stuff, the high intensity stuff, the, the, do people still do Pukey the Clown? Do people know him still? Uh, I don't know if he's as common as he was 10 years ago, but I mean, it, people puke. I, I I know a couple people at our gym that, that were puking after these open workouts, so it's common. It still happens. It can happen. And yeah, yeah. And like if you push to it, but that's kind of the, well, at least that's how it came up, right? Is like people doing ridiculous things, probably more than what was originally thought they should be doing them and this yeah, pushing the envelope like to an extreme yeah exactly right so i think that i mean that's still kind of there i mean i think a lot of people have had experience at crossfit but for the most part people think about the metcons you see the crossfit games it's fun it's cool you push yourself that's also fun and the person in ocr they're also very much like that high that driven uh crossfit athlete who checks the leaderboard when they go home every night type of thing you know oh yeah so where is the balance for something like doing these Metcons and, and ex kind of explain what we're talking about when we're talking about like the, the Metcon training and then like where the balance is in terms of what is productive and what might not be productive. And if you have any thoughts about like where it could be balanced for like an obstacle course racer or an endurance athlete. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the, the base concept you're talking about here is essentially your energy systems in your body. You know, if you think of what your body does and how it actually does these things, you kind of asking, okay, what is my body fueling itself for? Or what is my body prepping itself for, for like its, its maximum power output in this moment? And all of us have an intuitive understanding of this, right? There's a big difference between what your body is doing when it's, you know, pushing a car that's run out of gas versus running a marathon. There's a huge difference there. And I think intuitively, we all understand like, oh, those are two movements where I'm basically using my legs, but what is happening there? And if you look at the energy systems, like, you know, there's the very, very short energy systems. That's your body is using a, a specific type of energy within the cells. Uh, it's creatine, um, you know, ATP, CP, adenosine, triphosphate, creatine, phosphate, super Strong. nerdy, nice. unnecessary. Thank you very much. Uh, the ATP, CP, that's very fast, right? That's like, you're doing something that's 10 seconds and under or 15 seconds and under, you can essentially hold your breath and apply your entire energy and effort into this one thing. Then there's the extreme end of the other side. That's oxidative. That's what endurance is. It's all oxidative, right? You're, you're basically trading off the incredibly high power output peak of using ATP CP for something that you can do for hours on end and you can fuel it with oxygen right oxygen gets pulled into your uh into your lungs it gets dispersed into your bloodstream that process continues on and that's what fuels your ability to continue movement in the middle 
is basically things that are sh- are sugar like uh, glycolytic mm, okay. but sugar is sugar is were, like what it is doing a cake analogy for a second. Like, <laughs> i've missed it i've missed that analogy no okay. so in the middle between those two extremes of like the very very short incredibly high power output mm. and the very very long low power output but continuous movement is things that are fueled by sugar so that's basically like three to like 20 minutes but mm. it's very hazy right there isn't an on off switch for these things you essentially just like do a task and your body prioritizes to what the task is that it's doing and when you're talking about training like metcons you're generally talking about doing the middle one the sugar right. training so the reason why that's important that glycolytic training is important for someone like um an OCR competitor or someone who's training to be good at endurance stuff is think of it in terms of like, if you're driving your car and you only ever go 15 miles per hour, you never go five miles per hour. You never go 55 miles per hour. You're only ever going 15 miles per hour. You don't know what those other speeds look, feel, or perform. Like you have no idea. It's basically like the, it's like being in the twilight zone. Who knows? So just the exposure to sprinting just the exposure to doing an eight minute or a 12 minute or a 20 minute workout is going to teach you something about what pacing feels like much less not even like talking about the physiological adaptation that happens because like i said it's not a light switch the oxidative work that happens at like a 40 minute if you're doing if you're running a 10k or a half marathon it doesn't mean you're not using sugar or it doesn't mean you're not using ATP CP. It just means you're prioritizing that energy system. So you have to still be efficient in the rest of your energy systems in order to be able to perform at your best across all of those different things. Right. And that's where, you know, with endurance training for, for obstacle course training, it makes a ton of sense, right? The, the transfer it's, it seems intuitive, right? Like if you're going to be running up a mountain, then you got to stop and pick up uh, a sandbag and then go into pull-ups and, and using the different energy systems all at once. But to get to that high end of where you're that like kind of eight to 20 minute work rate in terms of training, this is where I kind of struggle with and how to kind of layer the two together. Because to get fast at say something like a 5K or 10K, you kind of need to train in that same space. You know, you're doing intervals that are three to five minutes or, you know, seven to 10 minutes. So where in your opinion, is there a, is there a balance where they could both kind of work or where is the line where it ends up being too much or redundant? Well, you just, I think you touched on something that's really, um, it's like maybe understood in a cursory sense, but is, is really important to, to very clearly lay out. And you, I, you touched on this thing of like, Oh, if you're going to be doing, if you're training for a five K or training for a 10 K and anyone who's ever done any real sort of like endurance training for something like that understands that you're running intervals Mm -hmm. almost exclusively. I mean, it would be foolish to think you're going to train a five K and do nothing but run five K's. It wouldn't get you there. It would be like, it would, it, it would just be like, if I want to get stronger, all I'm going to do every day is lift the heaviest thing I can. It's going to get, makes sense to me. Right. <laughs> I, it makes sense on paper, but right. the human body, unfortunately doesn't quite work that way. Or if it does work that way, it doesn't work that way for very long. Right. Either that becomes an inefficient way of training or it just becomes a dangerous way of training. And so the, the idea of using intervals is actually really key 
to understanding like how are you going to apply this training to something like OCR? And what you described is like, okay, well, you think of an OCR, you think of like this race, right? You're running up a mountain and then you have to stop and pick up a sandbag and carry it for a hundred meters. And then you run a little bit longer and then you have to flip a tire and then you run a little bit longer and then you do like monkey bars, right? So you should be able to to run and then also stop and do something that's a little bit harder than running. Mm -hmm. That right there tells you everything you need to know about what your training should generally look like. It should look something like run and then stop and do something that's harder than running and then do that again a bunch of times. The mathematics of what it should be in terms of your overall general preparation, I'd say like just like any other endurance thing that you're training for, you're going to spend probably 65 to 80% of your time doing shorter intervals. So something that's about a fifth to a third of what that entire distance of training is in intervals. So like if you're training for a 5k or a 10k, you're doing something like five minute or eight minute intervals, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're doing something like, um, you know, a half marathon, you're doing two mile intervals, three mile intervals, Mm -hmm. you're not doing, you know, 10 mile intervals, that doesn't make any sense. It's not very useful. Right. It's too damaging. It's too damaging. The the payoff isn't worth it. Exactly. It's like you can do it, but if you're talking about efficiency, the payoff isn't worth it. You can't do it the next day. You can't do it two days later. Um, And that's so that's kind of where the the being generally prepared from CrossFit does transfer really well into OCR because there could be, you know, say what Helen. So you run you swing something ballistically and then you hang and you pull, right? Like that, that, that right there, it's like all the different things that we have in CrossFit. So from a workout perspective, that makes sense. I guess I just like, what would your recommendation be in terms of like how to manage everything? And just in general, in CrossFit in general, right? And, and there's going to be different scopes of athletes, right? Like what the top level athletes, what they can handle in volume, it's going to be much different than set than your open competitor. And let's kind of skew it toward that, that person, like the open competitor, the, the age group athlete in, in obstacle course racing, like how much is too much in terms of intensity for someone like that? Um, I think, I think the idea of training to the point where you cannot train effectively is where you hit too much. And that is a dosage issue. You're going to you're gonna mess that up the first time you go for it, yeah. right? And you're going to mess it up on the other direction too. You might go a little bit too easy and you won't understand really exactly where that pacing lies or where that volume lies without trying it out. If I was going to lay out a week's worth of, you know, like a, like a template that I would use for somebody who's focusing on endurance stuff, but wants to start adding in interval work you know, knowing generally how running programs work, you know, it's a, it's mostly a few interval days a week and then a long day and maybe a tempo day to like recover and spend some time on your, your rhythm and your pacing. I would probably use a format like that, except I would still keep around, you know, the long day. You still got to get those miles in. You still got to get your feels in. I would do a short day that's just lifting and spend a bunch of time actually getting comfortable with weightlifting, whether that's in an interval format or just straight up strength work format. And then the intervals in the middle, I would do, you know, maybe one or two days that are just running intervals and maybe one or two days that are running intervals mixed with other stuff. So Mm -hmm. that's where you do running and pull-ups or running and sandbags or running and kettlebells. 
Or if you really are sort of getting beat up by all the running, you can do rowing and those things or biking and those things. Anything that essentially touches onto that energy system, because what you're really training for is transferability. You know, I, I don't know in OCR how specific people can get, you know, I think of like the most in extreme example of this would be something like uh, American Ninja Warrior, where mm-hmm. people are rebuilding the entire course in their backyard and practicing it over and over again. But I, I, the vibe that I get from OCR and training for OCR is that you touch on these things that can just generally transfer to what you most expect to show up. Yeah. And that's something we're, just, we're trying to figure out still, right? Like all, how much do we need to be specific into what we're going to see in a race versus how the the intensity will and like the transitions between the movements and just like focusing on breathing patterns and how to to, to manage your energy through something like say like barbell work like that's not specific to our sport at all right but it can transfer because of the different energy systems so it's like that's a place where I'm just trying to spend a lot of work is like trying to figure out what how specific it needs to be without being like too limited. And it, it, so it's like, I think we're still trying to figure out like what, what's going to work. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a sign that that's a sign that it's like still a young sport. It's still something that is getting figured out. And I think that's a really good thing. You know, I, I would agree with that assessment. Like the barbell is a little too specific. It's not that it's not useful or necessary. It's just a little too specific. You can get strong, using a barbell but at a certain point the time and effort and energy you put into continuing to use a barbell is going to not pay off the same dividends it used to right and that needs to be that's time that you need to spend spend running exactly i at that at a certain point that's time either you need to spend it running or doing something else right the, there's there's going to be like the juice isn't worth the squeeze anymore right. and i think i think the the things that um a general like just a, a a person who's training OCR, whether they're doing it professionally or as a um, as a hobby, as a as something that they do on the weekends, I think the important thing to understand is that like you have limited bandwidth to what you can train, and so you should absolutely be training the things that have the most transferability. If you're already good at running, continuing to do nothing but running training is not going to be effective at making you better at OCR. You're not going to perform any better. You should be spending time with sandbags and dumbbells and pull-up bars and maybe a barbell a couple times a week. You should spend your time doing those things. And I think that understanding of sort of like taking away the... um, like taking away the mystery of it because it feels like it could be super mysterious, right? But at mm. a certain point, you just kind of identify what you're already good at and identify the things that you're not so good at and then just do more of the things you're not so good at. <laughs> right. And that should move you in the right direction. And that it's, when you put it like that, it does make it cut and dry. And I think the trap, I know I've fallen into this in my own training is like doing a thing that is like justifying how running more will make me more prepared for this sport that is mostly running. And then it gets out there and then I get brought back to reality. It's like, no, 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 you need to expand. There needs to be other things that are in your arsenal because that's what the sport is. Like if you want to spend your time running or just doing trail running, like you got to do trail races <laughs> that like, that's where you should spend your time. There's already something for you, but so you do need to really have that type of conversation with yourself and making sure like that you're seeing the whole picture 
and this does kind of segue fairly well because you know we're talking about the person who is going to have you know age group competitor or people who are going to have uh limited bandwidth in terms of what they can do with their time and just like what they can do with the amount of volume that they built up over time. Like I kind of want to talk about the other end and, and where the, it kind of goes or if someone's kind of on this trajectory, right? Like if they're building into something. So looking at CrossFit, like kind of when it started, um, it almost was like a life hack. It kind of seemed like, at least that's how it was kind of marketed, right? Like you don't need to spend a ton of time at the gym. Don't eat grains and like, you'll be better off, whatever. Don't worry about calories. And like there was that CrossFit endurance piece that was like, don't really even worry about running that much, make your running form better and then just do CrossFit and like, don't eat carbs and like, you'll be fine. <laughs> you can run a hundred miles. Sure. Um, and then, so, and a lot of it, it seemed like the, the athletes, they weren't necessarily great at the longer stuff. Like even like throwing, you know, uh, famously walked during the, the, the triple three event or whatever. Yeah. yeah it's um, still such a great moment. Such a great <laughs> moment. Like de- reigning, defending three time champ, having to walk during a five K. <laughs> they did a bunch of other stuff before that, but still walking during a five. It did look bad. I, place. Yeah. I just watched that on something. I think was, was the froning documentary. Was that that year where he did walk? Was that? Yeah, that was, that was the, the froning documentary was covering that year of competition. Yeah. yeah. Cause I know I saw it a couple of times. I remember watching and then they rehashed it in the documentary documentary um but anyway there seemed to be a breakthrough at some point and to me when i what i remember is when jason kalipa like mashed everybody in the really short row but then mashed everybody in the really long row and like this dude is this and then he did well in like a running event later that same games i think yeah or or somewhere and like it seemed like this guy who is this huge gorilla not made for endurance like figured out a way to get better at endurance. And it was probably just like what you were saying. He took a look back. It's like, I'm really good at this barbell. I'm super strong. I can do this, all this other stuff. It's this running and endurance piece that is really kind of holding me back. Um, so how do you think, what was the shift there for, for those athletes to kind of move in into this part that CrossFit didn't necessarily embrace when it first started? Yeah. I actually love talking about this because it's something that almost anybody who trains in the CrossFit space doesn't understand. And almost anybody who trains anything, anything well outside of the CrossFit space absolutely understands. And it's that you cannot go 100% balls to the wall all the time and expect to keep improving. It's just not going to be the case. Any sort of good program is going to be based off of pacing and developing something very specific with that pacing. So your your pace, your work amount, your amount of work time, your amount of rest time, the amount of total volume, all of it gets adjusted very specifically. So what Jason Kalipa was able to discover essentially was that he had been trying to run himself into the ground every time he worked out and it wasn't enough. Oh, so he was running. So he was basically doing nothing. Yeah. Right. He was just hammering it. And so he happened to, he got very lucky. One of the members at his gym, his name's Chris Hinshaw and Chris Hinshaw was a a two time podium finisher at Kona in the eighties and nineties. And so if there's anyone on the face of the planet who understands suffering and endurance training, it's that guy. And he just was like, Hey, um, you suck at this and I can make you better. And I, I promise I won't tell any of your competitors what you're doing. And so he basically took Kalipa, who you very, just very aptly described as a gorilla. Like there's no other way. It's like five foot eight, like long arms, 220 pounds or whatever. 
uh, you know, you uh, you describe him as grilly. It took him and he turned him into a runner. I mean, at one point, I think he ran, uh, he ran ten eight hundreds, uh, in under three minutes with three minute break back to back to back. So he was running like almost like pretty elite level. Uh, endurance he developed over time and so and the, it, the, just yeah. real quick just to cut in like that those are called those yasso 800s and yeah. that's supposed to for whatever reason i guess this does work but if you can do that workout the time that it takes to run the 800s can kind of be your projected marathon time i don't know how that works but it just kind of does I have <laughs> so no like, idea. yeah a guy his size being able to project a run under three hours for a marathon is like it's pretty crazy yeah. yeah it's pretty crazy and so he and and that's exactly what happened hinshaw basically brought him in and said hey you know what you aren't training this uh effectively and and what you're doing is wrong and so he essentially gave him training that was based off of pacing that was based off of interval work that was based off of understanding what your body is doing at various speeds and that completely transformed not just Kalipa, but once Kalipa retired from the individual side and chris hinshaw started working with everybody else I mean, every single competitor in the CrossFit space owes Chris Hinshaw their success at this point because he has completely changed the way every single one of them train. And I think, yeah, it was just a matter of time, right? In the same way that kind of paleo filtered its way out, like someone came in who understood how nutrition actually works and is like, well, you guys know like carbohydrates are really what's well, <laughs> going to fuel this thing. Like, what yeah. you, but like, but like bread is caveman can't eat bread um <laughs> so, yeah. so like it's the same but like they'll see it and like that same like all these really great minds are now kind of in that crossfit area and this is one thing that i'll kind of get your take on too because i think i i don't know but i would imagine a lot of crossfit athletes are kind of training this way and i like i will have some of the athletes that i coach kind of do some things like this as well as using their aerobic efforts doing like crossfit style movements but the intensity is just much lower, which is not necessarily what we think about in CrossFit. And it's hard to kind of foster that within a class. And you could speak to this better than I could. I, I would imagine it's hard to to have a class full of people, like type A personalities, and then tell them to do something at 70% for 30 minutes, you know? Yeah. Um, but that seems to be a way that you can kind of replicate uh, working on some of these weaknesses and getting some resistance training while working on your endurance aerobic piece, which we, we also need to develop as, as, um, OCR athletes and runners as general and CrossFit athletes, to be honest. So like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, I think there's a couple different ways you can do that. When, when I was coaching and I was developing coaches and athletes and talking to our members, I would explain it to them in terms of running. Right. And I, I, this isn't, I'm not just like using this to like, you know, talk to runners right now. This is actually the, this is the analogy I would use is like when you're thinking of what the movement of running is, right. Think of it in terms of speeds. You can walk, you can jog, you can sprint. Like if you're walking, you're jogging, you're sprinting, you know that your body is doing different things. You understand that you can push yourself and slow yourself down and find a different pace based off of that sort of a continuum. Well, you can apply that same thing to doing CrossFit workouts. You can apply that to doing intense and in, in interval training or Metcons or whatever, right? You can have your walking pace where it's like useless, doesn't do anything for you. You can have your sprinting pace where it's like, okay, cool, but you're just getting better at sprinting it. Or you can have your jogging pace and your jogging pace, it turns out, is also how you're doing pretty much all of your endurance training anyway. It's somewhere around your jogging pace, jogging pace plus for like shorter intervals, jogging pace minus for, you know, longer intervals, right? 
So the the idea of finding your jogging pace mm. and applying that, you can do that through clever design of your workout. You can do that through heart rate training. You can do that just through a ton of experience and understanding what your jogging pace is. Like for me, I've been very lucky in that I have basically never injured myself doing CrossFit. And I completely credit that to like 80 to 90% of the workouts that I do never ever get revved to like sprint. They're all in this like very, very repeatable type of effort. Something that like, okay, if I needed to rest for like an hour, I could probably do that again. And Mm. the idea there is just like, all right, well, I want to be able to work out again tomorrow. I don't need to really kill myself about this today. And so understanding that, that idea of learning your jogging pace is really important. And, you know, if you, if you don't have it at right out, that's fine. You can develop it really easily. So an easy way of developing it is like just little clever ways of writing workouts. You can write a workout that's something like every six minutes, you're going to repeat this interval. Every six minutes you start off and you do like five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 squats, and 20 sit-ups. And then for the remainder of that time, you're running. Mm. So you stop every time the, the minute that's like a zero mark, a six minute mark, and you just every six minutes repeating that. And at a certain point, you're going to realize, well, I can't sprint as fast as I possibly can. And walking isn't going to get me very much distance. So what does jogging feel like there? So you start improving your understanding of, okay, how fast can I do the gymnastics part? And then how fast can I do the jogging part? And then you really understand there, like, if I had to do it once, I could go really fast. And if I had to do it 10 times, I have to go a lot slower. So that that's a way of sort of like developing that understanding and experience without necessarily even having that experience to begin with. Yeah, I think that's helpful because I think that they'll find out real fast. If you try to sprint something like that, like you'll be halfway through it and the workout will be ruined and you probably won't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is also a concept that when working with people who are maybe just coming into running um, maybe a year or two, two or three years, like this idea of to get faster, you need to run fast. So their jogging pace, what they would consider the jogging pace is a bit too fast. Um, So they never quite get that total recovery on their end. So when it's time to go hard, they don't quite have the ability to go hard because they're always a little bit under recovered. This is definitely what I did on CrossFit. Like I would just kind of be kind of hard every day and just kind of feel terrible most days. So, so I worry about it for people doing that. Um, so when doing the program design like this, like fitting in these type of, um, workouts that are going to make people really kind of lean into what that sustainable pace would be like, how often would you say like you would work something in like that? Is that going to be the base of most of the programs that you would kind of lay out? Or are there days where it is going to be like two days a week going really hard or going like extra slow or something like that? I I would absolutely add in specific days that are supposed to be more towards either the like super hard sprinty side or the very long oxidative side because you and I both know that you can train a very efficient, you know, interval based program that gets you all the systems and your like all your uh, energy systems primed and, efe- and efficient and ready to go but if you've never touched the time domain that you're going to be competing in it's going to kick you in the teeth like Mm. you just don't know what that's going to feel like unless you spend a little bit of time there and it's the same thing with you know the very very short side of things if you don't know 
what it feels like to hit your like 100% stride and kick at the end of a race, you don't know what it's going to do to you. You don't know how to get there. You don't know when to pace it. So just having a little bit of a touch point with those things, I think is really important. Like, you know, I, uh, I, I trained for a half Ironman, right? So I did a half Ironman a few years ago and it didn't go great. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. It didn't go great, but it went well enough that I did it. And even though I technically didn't finish, I got the experience in and I'm going to like redeem myself down the line. Okay. But, uh, to, like, you know, to, to be clear, like I did the swim, uh, and I've never been a good swimmer. I got pulled on the run like two thirds of the way through. Or, I'm sorry, I got pulled on the bike about two thirds of the way through, and then I snuck back onto the course and finished the half. Okay, marathon. so you did everything. Required. So I did everything. I did time, everything required. The time restraint. Yeah, exactly. So I wasn't. I wasn't quite there. Okay. And uh, and you know, for me, doing the uh, doing the half Ironman training was very much spent time doing you know half mile and mile intervals, and then like eight to 15 minute intervals on a bike and swimming was like, learn how to swim. That was basically my truth. I was like, learn how to swim. Don't worry about getting good. Just learn. And so when I think of those types of efforts, 80%, 85% of my training was doing that, which in the long term, when you're looking at your overall volume of what goes into a half Ironman, I mean, it's very small. I mean, it's mm-hmm. basically nothing. It's a drop in the water, but it adds up over time and it, and it, essentially builds me up into having the efficiency. The place where I failed is that I never did anything longer than 45 minutes or 50 minutes in a workout. So when a six, seven, eight, nine hour event is being presented to me that starts with like 45 minutes of swimming, I wasn't prepared for what that did to me physiologically. So Mm -hmm. you absolutely have to touch those long ends and the short ends to understand what's going to happen to you when you get there. Yeah, because I feel like it, a lot like class based things might end up be, just because of the restraint of the class itself needing the class to be an hour, which it might not have to be. It could be like it could be long, it could be shorter, like to meet these demands. But because it's just like the system that we're in, and like you know, got to make it predictable and got to make money. Um, that they end up being kind of in that ten to twenty to- uh 20 minute time domains when you're mm-hmm. going into a CrossFit class. But if you're training outside of that, you can definitely expand out. Is it, do you think this is where these, like the girl workouts or the um, other, uh, the hero workouts, these benchmark work- workouts, you think that's what these should be reserved for, for just really diving into the really like deep pain cave on like these short workouts or kind of expanding things longer? Or do you think like there's some creativity with it? I think I think the benchmark workouts, both the girls and the heroes, are useful for like their own thing. You know, they they're useful primarily as benchmarks. I wouldn't really pick them to repeat over and over again yeah. outside of just a measurement, right? It's like it's just like knowing what your mile time is or knowing what like your 10k time is. You just kind of know and you generally understand what you can hit based off of your previous experience. And if you really need to train it, you kind of have a number that you can do all your intervals off of. But the benchmarks themselves and the hero workouts themselves, they can be used very well as sort of like um creative impulses. You can see what combinations of movements are showing up. And this is more to like a CrossFit thing because in CrossFit, 
the the combination of movements is as important as which movements show up or how long you're doing things right if it's like something that's a combination of all upper body pushing stuff and you don't have to if you don't have a really good upper body pushing then you're gonna fail whether it's like the handstand push-up or the dip or the push-up or whatever you're just gonna fail at some point or 21.1 just all that or or 21.1 just all those shoulders like pressing through that wall walk right so you know, I think the the idea of like that combination of movement thing is much more like a specific CrossFit thing for mm-hmm. the OCR trainee who's like trying to get in there and actually round themselves out. I would essentially say like pick something that's like a body weight ish thing, and then pick something that is an external implement, whether it's a dumbbell or a kettlebell or a medicine ball or a sandbag, and just just use those things in with some sort of like running or biking or skiing or rowing, whatever the machine is that you want to use at that moment and try and build your intervals using those, right? Yeah. Cause that's, what's going to give you transferability. And at the end of the day, again, you're like within, within the bandwidth considerations of like real adults in the real world, right. you have to be greatest transferability possible. That's fair. Cause like, yeah, if you, if you do, if you're doing Fran and using Fran as your benchmark, like that's literally going to do nothing. No, it's not going to help out. It's not going to help. And, and chances are it also, there's a good chance that you do it and you get so focused at getting better at it that it actually hurts your other stuff. Totally. And that's the last thing you want. Right. Um, so we're just kind of going along like the evolution now, like kind of working how these athletes went from very short focus power based to working into endurance and still kind of keeping those same principles in place that got them so strong in the first place. I kind of want to get your take on this because it's something we're sort of seeing happen in OCR in terms of like the high level athletes. Um, there's obviously some dominant athletes in CrossFit, right? Like it's happened for the past, what, 10 years. There's been what, three winners. Yeah. 10, there's, 10 on years? the men's side, it's been, it's been three winners in the past 10 years. Yeah. And there's been repeat win- winners on, on the female side as uh, at least two. Right. So, I mean, what has there been a four winners in the last 10 years on the female side? Yeah. Just about. Um, so like at the top, there isn't a ton of parody, but even, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems like some of the athletes who have started early are still kind of the ones that are in like the top 10 often. And maybe there's newer names that filter in the, the, um, like the 30 and up or whatever new types of games athletes who come in and, and, or like the regional level athlete that, uh, kind of comes up, but it seems like the athletes who have been at the top have kind of stayed there mm-hmm. and that's sort of happening in obstacle course racing. And I remember thinking like this sport in, in CrossFit. Now I'm talking when CrossFit gets like real athletes in here, they are going to smash everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, yeah, but that hasn't seemed to really have happened. Like, have you, what do you think? Why do you think that's the case in, in CrossFit? I think it's because it's such a young sport. I, I think that's the big part of it. You know, when one person figures out something that nobody else has figured out or finds an edge that no one else has, it's very, very easy for that become to become like an insurmountable, insurmountable amount of momentum. Hmm. Right. And so we saw that with, um, we saw that with rich, rich essentially was the bet that rich made was I can do more volume than anyone else can. And the amount of volume that Rich was able to put in was like maybe detrimental in the long term, but in the short term meant that he was untouchable. He was doing twice as many workouts as everybody else was. And so when 
a high volume weekend at the CrossFit Games shows up and there's 15 scored events and some of them are really heavy and some of them are really long, you know, he's just going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Like, you know, by the time Sunday rolls around and everyone else is like pretty beat up, he's also pretty beat up, but he does this every single day. So it wasn't that big of a deal for him and he can still perform pretty close to his maximum potential. And I think that was the biggest thing that separated Rich, right? And on the women's side, you know, it was kind of like this overall understanding of like, how do we put together the big picture and where can we focus to like make our strengths our strengths? And I think uh, Annie Thor's daughter did a really good job of understanding how to apply herself in competition. And she's had a really long career because of it. She Mm -hmm. won two championships back to back. Tia is just like, Tia is basically a cyborg from the future. Like, I don't know how else to describe her. She's quite literally the most impressive specimen that we've ever seen at the CrossFit games and competes at an international level in weightlifting as well. And now is like trying to go into like bobsled in the Olympics. So we're talking about like a two Olympic sport athlete, both a winter and summer and like a Commonwealth champion in weightlifting and a four, a three, four time CrossFit games champion. Like, she is she is an absolute specimen and i think that really is like when you talk about the real athletes coming into crossfit you know she's an example that of that might be in it. my opinion Got she's it. an example of that yeah huh so do you think there cuz like volume that seems to be something that people have really kind of glommed onto right like the the highest level athletes they're doing a lot like how many hours would you say like it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. I think, uh, so man, like I know, I know some of the guys who train at that level and going into the games, you know, they, they probably, uh, like this time of year, they're probably training something like two to four hours a day, two to five hours a day, uh, going into the games, like the two months or so, the six weeks or so leading into the games, they're probably training close to eight to 10 hours a day. And that is, that is not counting like the stretching or the recovery stuff that's just in the gym and like because there's so much to train that it seems like they can't like where for an endurance sport like you're gonna just break down at some point (laughs) it seems like that's so does that seem to be the the are people just kind of racing to see who can do the most volume and is it just building up year over year is this like a huge insurmountable amount of volume now that these athletes who have started early it's hard for people to then catch up with like, unless there's something like a Justin Medeiros who's starting so young, who again, might be one of these, these people we're talking about who are coming in. Like, how are you supposed to catch up to something like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, you and I both know about the idea of peaking, you know, training your peak is only going to be as high as your base is wide. Right. So the idea of having all this volume is so that you can build such a gigantic foundation that you can peak incredibly high Mm -hmm. because of it. And I think that is something that has only recently been introduced into CrossFit. The idea of peaking for the games is like, is like new. It's like two years old, like three years old. Nobody was peaking for the games before people would train the week of just as hard as they were before that. But it's become more understanding, like there's more understanding in the space and more acceptance of the idea. Of, yeah, we train super, super hard leading into the games. And then we kind of taper our way down into the games like the last week or 10 days or so or whatever that ends up looking like. You know, the volume starts dropping down, the intensity starts hiking up and we start getting ready to go do these wild things, but only like a dozen of them. Wherein the the reason why there's so much volume is like, they need to have that type of 
the uh, stimulus necessary for them to be able to be prepared for whatever it is they're going to be tasked with when the games show around. And I think part of the reason why it's so difficult for new names to get into it is because they don't have the years of building that base and building that volume. You can't just jump into that and expect to be successful more than once, maybe twice. And that's why we see a lot of athletes make it to the games early on and just never repeat because it was so miserable and so challenging and so painful for them to get there. And the athletes that have been there year after year after year do a really good job of maintaining that amount of volume over a long period of time so that they can continue training um, and hit, hit those higher and higher peaks. And I think we're starting to see the sort of wave crash a little bit in terms of the athletes that have been there for so long and have been doing it for so long. They're just paying the price. Like, you know, Jacob Hepner's retiring, uh, Matt Fraser retired. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing the same type of sort of parody occur at the end of this season with some of the names at the top retiring, just because it's so much, it's so much commitment and it's so painful to do on that level for that long that there's just more that they're, they probably want to do. And so when athletes like Justin Medeiros, who, you know, at his rookie year at the games did exceptionally well, I mean, he has spent several years through his teenage years and into college training to build up that volume, training to build up that, that, uh, capability in his body. He didn't just jump into it his first year. I mean, he'd been training essentially at a high games level capacity for several years before he even qualified. And so I think that's something that people are starting to understand. Like, oh, you you won't get a rookie showing up who's never done CrossFit and is super fresh anymore because it would take years of training leading up to that to just prepare their bodies for what they're going to be tasked with. So, you know, you might get a rookie coming in, but they're probably going to have a background that feels a lot like something a CrossFitter would have, like a weightlifting background and an endurance background. So they've done all the different types of training that involved those two specialties. And suddenly it's like, okay, well, if you need me to get good at doing some handstand pushups, I could probably learn how to do that relatively quickly. Cause it does seem like a, like a gymnast, right? They, they seem to have a fairly decent time just because of their awareness to kind of move in and out, but they've built that adaptation for years and years and start when you're like four years old as a gymnast and, and can t- kind of build things up. So that's, that's interesting where, how it does kind of start. You can, bring it all the way back to Rich Froning and how he just did try to ramp things up so much. And he, and he made that bet and he was able to to cash in because he could handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're seeing the long-term effects. Like he didn't last super long. And like the, the life cycle of the sport doesn't seem to be that it's going to be very short, even compared to other sports, right? It's like a, almost like a football lifespan where it's like, you know, what do they say? Three years is like the, the average competing um, duration. Do you, and this, so an obstacle course racing I feel like this is something that's also kind of happened. Like some of the athletes who are at the top now are the ones who were able, who started early and who are able to kind of put in a lot of volume early and, and continue to kind of push things forward and got a ton of experience. Like the experience is, is really, you can't discredit that at all in this sport. It's like figuring out how to do everything. So guys, and, and then those are the ones who have been fortunate enough to have success. So there's only a very limited amount of people who can train to that level and support themselves, you know? So I think that's kind of where we're at right now in terms of where the OCR athlete is. And, and cause people always see new runners come in. Cause you would just think it's a running sport. So like Olympic trials, qualifiers come into the sport, they do a couple races and then they 
they don't do that well. And then they just don't end up like seeing it through just because I think they just don't want to change the way they're training. I thought it was going to be easy. They thought it would be easy. Exactly. And then they realize like, holy crap, I have to get good at all this other stuff. It's like people have been people. Yeah. The people who have been here are already very good at this, all this other stuff. Yeah. Do you see, do you see there being a shift happen? Like if you were to project a shift happen in terms of how people are preparing for this or ways that, uh, like what the next thing, like a Chris Henshaw or, you know, someone eating carbohydrates would be like, in this sport, like, can you see that? Like, what do you, what do you see as a shift in CrossFit that is going to change things? I think something that a lot of people still don't wrap their brain around is that there's a reason why when you train something like endurance, you use uh, specific percentages of your pace and sets and reps and time, right? It's the same thing that we do with weightlifting. You use sets and reps, you use certain percentages to develop mm. your ability to do certain things. That does not exist in the CrossFit space outside of those two things. Like if you're not working on like your rowing or your running or your endurance, and you're not working on like your weightlifting, like your powerlifting or your Olympic lifts, you're not doing anything that's like sets and reps. Hmm. You're not doing anything that's like interval based or pacing based. You do interval workouts that are just meant to like bury you. Right. And I think that's really the 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 difference, right? I think down the line, like people are going to have to realize that you know, you can train your ability to be really, really good at something like Murph without doing that volume and doing that workout over and over again. You can train things that are similar to it and help it. And you can train the interval versions of it and get there without necessarily getting there every time. Right. And I think that's something that is like Matt Fraser has been talking about that a lot on his um, you know, I think he's like offering programming sometime, I think in April is supposed to launch. I'm not hundred percent sure, but his whole thing is like, yeah, everything is based off of percentages. We'll spend the first little bit of time. Like you'll do some tests and we'll get an idea of, you know, how much wattage can you put out on a rower over 10 minutes? And we're going to use that information. And I'm going to give you like hold X wattage for this amount of time, rest and repeat this many times. And you're going to get better at it because that's how you develop that. You just work on that. And you can take that same exact concept and you can apply it to things like thrusters and pull-ups or bar muscle-ups and snatches. You can apply it to all those things. It just isn't being applied that way. So like the old school way of being, you know, here's my baseball bat of like workouts and just bopping everyone on the head with them over and over again and just getting people better that way. I think there's going to be a much more surgical and specific way of improving people that's going to come up over the next year. Or so once people start understanding that like, Hey man, turns out you can actually get a lot of work done by doing these very specific things that, that just aren't showing up very often. If you look at what happens in a gym or what happens in public programs. Yeah. So it would almost be like someone creates this model around, it would probably take a lot of like that type of modeling where it's someone figures out if how to do like, on every minute on the minute of like 10 pull-ups and 10 squats and like, or something like that. And then being able to be like, do X amount of volume. Anyway, you explained it better, but it made perfect sense in my brain how it's like being more specific, like being like having it, taking a little bit of the unknown out of what the stimulus that you're going to get will be and being able to control your effort to make sure you're getting that stimulus. 
as a, absolutely. Wow. That's a great way of describing it. It's like, I think the next stage of this is knowing exactly why you're doing the workout you're doing, because it's pointed at a very specific thing. It's not like, well, today I'm doing uh, pull-ups and running. Like, it's not that. It's, okay, I'm working on this thing and working backwards. I know that if I can do these 10 training sessions leading up to it, I'm way closer to getting that thing done than I was when I first started. Yeah. Wow. That'd be really, really a game changer for for CrossFit. Because in endurance sports, that's just been something for so long. And I'm at the point now as a coach where I'm almost pulling people away from that so much because they get so married to it that they almost need to figure out how to actually feel it. But now it's like the CrossFitters has been all on feel, but everybody's feeling something different probably. And no one's kind of in that right lane. And that may be also something that Fraser did better than everybody. It's like, learning his rate of perceived exertion and how much and where his different zones would be that he may have created um, and able to kind of hold on to that energy and expend it when he needs to like Froning did that really well also, right? Like mm-hmm. how to put, put it out there when he needed to and how to pull back when he needed to. We didn't need to win everything. He knew what it was going to be for the long haul, but if you could have timed or have some sort of metric to tell you that would be huge. Yeah. I mean, part of it is part of the reason why that hasn't happened is because it's really complex. I mean, it's right. way, way easier to do that with swimming or running or biking than it is with, you know, an infinite combination of things like the pace, the pacing you would keep for wall balls and box jumps is different than wall balls and toes to bar or toes to bar and box jumps. And suddenly you're using the same three movements, but it's like totally different types of workouts, totally different types of pacings completely different type of volume, totally different stimulus. So it's a really complicated thing to figure out. But I think all the body of data that these coaches have of seeing their athletes and understanding what they're getting out of the workouts they're giving them is pointing in that direction. It has to move in that direction where you're being really surgical with what you're asking people to do to improve them in really specific ways. And that would, and that's what I was kind of getting at when I was talking about the modeling. It would take someone who knows how to do math and put it all on something and and be able to spit out this because there's so many different types of combinations. Um, And that would be really helpful for obstacle course racing as well. Because like, yeah, it's like pick up a sandbag and run. And there's no way of telling how you're comparing to anybody else in anything really until you race. So having some sort of of metric into training would be really helpful. So I will be interesting. Do you think that's what Fraser is releasing? Not, not yes exactly. and no, not, like not exactly. exactly. No, I think I think what he's releasing is much closer to uh, it's closer to that than what the average program looks like because he talks a lot about you know I came from weightlifting it was sets and reps and it was percentages and I knew exactly what I was trying to do and why I was working in those percentages and then he applied that same thing to endurance it was sets and it was reps it was certain percentages certain intervals and he knew exactly why he was doing it so I think he has been doing that for a long time with just general sort of like um, power output training and general uh, energy system training. So he knows, you know, over a 20 minute clock, almost exactly how much power he can output in terms of wattage over 20 minutes, because not only has he trained it, but he's also done so many different intervals using that type of a measurement, you know, on like a rower or on a bike um, Mm -hmm. so that he understands that. So I think, yeah, he's going to be closer to that, but I don't know if he's going to exactly blow the doors open. He doesn't have that math equation I'm talking about. I don't think so. I don't think he has. Yeah. I don't think he has the grand equation, right? Like the, the unified physics that that we're talking about here. (laughs) Um, Cool. That's interesting. That'd be really cool to keep an eye on. Um, How are you doing on time? I have like one more question. I'm good. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Um, 
So we talk about the parallels between OCR and, and CrossFit and the way I look at it is like, you know, they're like cousins, right? But how do you think that OCR could replicate the type of success and demand that, that CrossFit has had? Because it seems like the growth that happened with CrossFit was exponential for quite a long time. And I, and I mean, it's hard to tell what, what, would, what potentially would have happened with OCR, especially with 2020 and everything, but it didn't seem to have that type of rapid expansion. Um, and now it's kind of like, in the culture, right? People have, people know it. Like I can't say OCR to somebody like they don't know what I'm talking about. I got to say, you know, like Spartan race, like tough mutter, the monkey bars and mud and stuff. Um, what do you think something like OCR could do? What is it missing? You know, I think the biggest difference between the two things is the fact that CrossFit has the affiliates. The affiliates are so magical in so many different ways. Um, if, if OCR as an industry found a way of getting groups of like a dozen or two dozen people or a hundred people affiliated under just like one coach or a handful of coaches who would meet on a regular basis every single day or every single week and build that sense of community, it would absolutely equal like the, the, the growth would be the same, right? That's what's that, that to me is what's missing is like, you're putting the onus on the average person who's doing OCR to find other people who are doing OCR and train with them as opposed to here's a place that we go to that we're all like-minded. We're all doing the same thing. We're all working towards the same goals and we can just talk about it constantly nonstop and, you know, keep that river flowing. And to me, I think the, the affiliates are, you know, it's not just a place for um, physical training, right? It's a really, really fascinating cultural experiment to see what, what role the affiliate and the gym plays in people's lives. Um, and I don't know what it is about CrossFit affiliates. I've been to a lot of different gyms that are similar to CrossFit affiliates, but they're not quite able to recreate the same thing. And there's something very special about what happens inside those four walls uh, that if someone else can able, is able to figure out how to recreate that is, is probably going to be incredibly successful. I found that same thing going into gyms because pretty much every gym that isn't a big box gym is now some sort of CrossFit spinoff that didn't exist before CrossFit was there. And they're just not called mm-hmm. CrossFit, but like there's still barbells and like there's bumper plates and, you know, it's rogue everything, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't, it doesn't feel the same. No, it doesn't feel the same. I think it might be because there's no like unifying label, you know, it might be because that, like, it could just be something as simple as that. Like people don't necessarily know, Oh, I do this thing. They're like, yeah, I go to the gym or I do like hit classes, but like hit classes, what does that even really mean? You know, so like there's there's definitely something that's happening, whether it's the labeling of what a CrossFit gym is and what the experience is or what is happening when the, you know, the coaching staff and ownership staff are like, whether it's consciously or subconsciously sort of like pumping that into the membership. And I know a lot of CrossFit gyms and gyms that are, you know, used to be CrossFit gyms or whatever that don't it's not like a culty thing. I know that could sound really killed. It's not like, well, welcome to like the throne of CrossFit. Everyone bow to our like picture of Dave Casper or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, it's not like that. It's um, it's more like there's like an identification that happens when you suffer with that many people into the same goal over and over and over again. You just become very close with people. And I think that type of like group suffering and that type of like magic it can be applied to anything and it'll it'll be successful if you can just figure out what that magic is. Right. It's like you're, you're 
um, experiencing something you need to overcome with, with adversity with someone like over and over. And I mean, that's why these races, like these Spartan races and people go, will travel every single weekend so they can have that. And there are these groups of people that form and communities that form within the race itself, but it's still an event, you know, it's not like a methodology. It's not like something that is like, like they're it's steeped in what the person does. It's like something they do on the weekends and they see these people that they, that they see and everything else is kind of solo. So, yeah, I think you're right. Like it needs to be something that it just is identifiable outside of it. I mean, I don't know what, you know, I know like running groups are a thing, um, but I don't know, like is, is OCR training in a group a thing? There are OCR gyms. You can, you can come, you can come by wow. those. You've never okay. seen one? Yeah. Like, well, they, well, what ends up happening, right? They, they need like Ninja Warrior ends up being a little bit more identifiable with obstacles. Mm-hmm. So to market to an adult to come in for to train for like an obstacle course race, it 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 hasn't connected, right? It's not like if it was called something different and it just happened to be monkey bars in there and happy happened to be like running with like sandbags and it just wasn't built around like so you can prepare for this specific race. I think that they would have better success but now they're ninja they're essentially end up being ninja gyms and like they're better for like kids birthdays and things like that so very much more to the youth Um, yeah yeah see there's there's a big difference there right mm -hmm. like i think i think there's there's a problem there i mean i don't know what the problem is or what the solution is but there's like a little there seems to be a little bit of like grit there that you can if you can sand that away and figure out how to how to make that into like a, a place where adults go it doesn't even have to be just adults like the gym that i go to down the street it's like our the class that i'm usually in that there's 10 of us maybe 12 of us and uh it's a wide range i mean two teenagers probably two people in their 50s and the rest of us are in like our 30s maybe your early 40s so it's like it's a wide range of of age groups and capacities and and experiences but you know there is something really special that happens uh in that group setting and I, I i think that there's a way to apply it i just don't know what the answer is you know yeah i'm hoping i'm hoping it happens and i don't know a lot of ways you can go down this so i'll work on it um well cool I'm a man i really do appreciate you popping on take on take your your whole morning because i know you got content to create but i was actually talking to uh matt davis recently um and i was telling him i don't know why we got down this this route but i was telling him the first ever podcast that i ever listened to was this american life and the second podcast was the Wadcast podcast. No way, yeah, dude. <laughs> so wow, yeah, I've been following. I've been following you in that. And so the first, so that was probably what 2013. When did you start yeah. on there? Uh, 2012 was our first our first episode. Yeah, I think the first episode I ever listened to was the one where Kenny Kane was explaining why he wasn't going to be on the show anymore. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> wow, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So That's yeah, wild. I remember that because I didn't, I couldn't pick it together. I was like, so this guy's leaving because this other guy is saying stuff that that guy doesn't like is making people mad. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. What a wild time. Yeah. So man, I've been following you for a long time and I'm, I'm glad you're out there doing it for, uh, for yourself and, and putting out the content that, and being that voice in CrossFit that, that was so absent for so long and, and kind of paving that way and, and just being on the grind, dude. So uh, it's been fun following you. I do appreciate the time. Thanks, man. It's been it's been awesome hanging out. I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, let's do this again sometime. It was a lot of fun for sure. And um, forgot to mention that you know we talked a lot about the the court the um, type of workouts and things that would be helpful for an athlete. And you have uh, a couple of cool freebies and a couple of things to kind of plug. What what do you got going on? 
Yeah, so I have uh, I have two ebooks. One is uh, 101 free workouts. It's literally 101 free workouts. It's just a bunch of workouts that I've I've written and done over the past uh, like 10 years. Um, most of them are from my days as an affiliate owner and coaching them. So they've they've been through like thousands of iterations, and lots of different people have done them. So they're really good workouts. Um, the other one is 50 free sandbag workouts. So mm. it's a collection of workouts that are, you know, get out there and dust off that sandbag from your garage. We have him. OCR yeah, has put, sandbags. Put some hurting bombs on yourself. I mean, they're, they're, they're built around the idea of like light, medium and heavy sandbag workouts. And that can mean whatever it is. We use uh, like hundred pounds on the guy's side for light and 200 for the heavy and 150 in the middle for medium. But like, it can mean whatever you want, whatever light, medium and heavy means for you. Uh, you can easily replace it. And I wrote that one with my buddy Chase. So we have we have that one out there. And then I have a, a course. I have a course on Teachable uh, called The Beginner's Guide to Writing Workouts That Don't Suck. And if you enjoyed hearing me like talk about you know the energy systems or get really specific in these um, different analogies on like why we do certain things, that course is right up your alley. I mean, it is, it is very much in depth, like two and a half hours of video over like 25 different, different videos or 30 different videos, 11,000 words in like lectures. It's, it's a lot, but it's, it's very, very in depth. And, uh, it's a lot, it was a lot of fun to make. I've been getting a lot of really positive feedback on it. So I'm pumped about it. And that's definitely worth checking out because if you can learn the why behind the workouts, right? Like having the workouts themselves and being able to adapt them or just having to not worry about what to do that day, that's helpful. But if you can learn why you're doing the workouts, you can then, you can program for yourself for forever and have that absolutely base. Um, cool, man. I'll make sure to link to everything in the show notes. Um, I'm just going to hit stop here and we'll head back to that last page. But again, appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank you.